0: Let's start from verse 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus. It is said that this was a letter written by Luke to uh, someone in authority named Theophilus. This is why it seems to be addressed to this Theophilus. But nevertheless, let's continue. Of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion it's amazing to it cause it his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he saith, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but, he shall, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And that baptism, uh, John said, is the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire and fire when they therefore were come together they asked of him saying lord wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to israel that's all the jews wanted this kingdom the kingdom the kingdom the kingdom and so they naturally asked the question knowing he is the messiah "Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of israel And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But verse 8 is going to be our text this evening. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And now notice these words here, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. One commentator said concerning verse 8 that this was to be their work, and what belonged to them, and not to inquire about a temporal kingdom and the setting up of that, and the times and seasons of it. Their business was to testify of the sufferings of Christ, and the glory that followed and to preach a crucified Jesus as the only savior of lost sinners. They were not to stop and work out when the kingdom of God was to be ushered in, but what Jesus did tell them is that he wanted his disciples to go out and to be his witnesses. He says, you don't need to know these things in essence. It's not for you to know this and this is what you need to know. You are going to be endued with power from on high. You are going to receive power from on high. This is talking about the Spirit of God. And when He comes and when you receive Him, you're going to be my witnesses. And this is what he wanted them to focus on. He gave this great commission as we touched on a few weeks ago. But he's called his children, he's called the apostles, he's called the church to be witnesses unto him. And that's what he wants them to keep busy doing, to be a witness unto Jesus. He says, I'm going to give you power to do it. You know, the Spirit of God, when He came in Acts chapter 2, there were many things that were manifest, but it was all for the purpose of being a witness for Jesus Christ, to testify of the gospel of His grace, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that many would see and many would know what these men are preaching are being affirmed by signs and wonders which we had never seen before. This is no doubt of God, of God. And this was the purpose, this was one of the things that we see demonstrated, no doubt about it, in Acts chapter 2, but what we see as a whole, the whole purpose of receiving the Spirit of God, to receive power, to receive ability, it's the same word where where we would get the word dynamite from, for what purpose? To be a witness for Jesus Christ. To use a phrase or use the phrase that's mentioned in the parable of the 10 pounds that Jesus Christ is talking about here, you could probably put it this way. Yes, he's called them to be witnesses. You can probably look at it this way. He's called them to occupy until he comes. Occupy until he comes. Jesus, when's the kingdom? When are you going to restore the kingdom? You don't worry about that. I want you to be a witness. And this is what I'm sending you out to do. I'm not sending you out to work out the times and the seasons. You don't need to know about the times and the seasons. It's going to come. What I'm sending you out to do is to be my witnesses. And we see the locations. We've touched on this before in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the outermost parts of the earth and making practical application. I'm not going to labor there again. But Jerusalem was where they were based. This is where the Spirit of God baptized them in the upper room. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, This is where the ministry, the preaching of the gospel with power began. And then it spread to Judea, the surrounding cities. Samaria, the forsaken place. This was a place where the Jews would walk around and never go through because they hated the Samarians. They were half-castes. But he didn't want them to just keep busy in their home place, this Jerusalem. He wanted to spread with the surrounding cities and states like like their Judea and go to the forsaken places like Samaria, those people that people don't want to go to. And at the same time, the uttermost parts of the earth. Here it is, laid out before them, what Jesus wants them to occupy themselves in and what a task it is. What an absolute task and what an absolute calling. In Luke chapter 19, this occupy till I come, the idea of occupy is to busy oneself with. It's to make it your trade, to make this your business. And you and I know what a business is about. A business, and and anyone knows that has ever operated a business or been a part of a business, you and I know that a business is not designed to stay stagnant. It is intended to multiply, to grow, to profit. This is the idea and in the same concept as the word would indicate, as the parable itself would indicate, we've been entrusted with a certain thing and it is our responsibility to be active with that certain thing that it would multiply, that we would occupy till he comes. And the whole parable is talking about multiplication. Being faithful with that which has been entrusted to you. Occupy with that thing and watch it grow. And that in essence in application in our text this evening is Christ calling us to be witnesses unto him. And as he has taught us, he has given to every one of us in the scriptures grace sufficient by his spirit to do those things that are set before us to do. And if ever there was a time where the disciples felt where they were in essence lacking in grace or there was a need or there was trouble or whatever may have arisen where they sought that they needed God, that yes, they understood they received the Spirit of God, but there were times like when they were brought, especially in times of persecution, they were being tested, they were being threatened to stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus, the very thing that Jesus sent them out to do and so they came before God. In Acts chapter 4, putting these threatenings, putting these things before God in heaven. And the Bible says that he filled them with the Holy Ghost. And they went out there and they continued to, to, to declare the gospel, to declare the resurrection with power. You know what the disciples did? You know what the book of Acts is? A people of God occupying until Jesus come. A people of God being a witness for Jesus Christ. The believers to this day, one commentator said, have the same call and the same promise, but must observe also the same command, to be witnesses of Christ, of his salvation, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Brothers and sisters, the whole message tonight, delivered unto you, that will be delivered unto you, is that we are called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. We are called to be his witnesses, and I want to touch on throughout this what that kind of looks like. First, I want to look at the element, what we are called, what, what are we? What has God called us to be? Well, as already stated in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we are called to be His witnesses. We are called to be His messages. We are called to be those that testify of Jesus Christ. It's interesting to note that the same word for witness is the same word that we would understand in our English, English language to be martyrs, a martyr. You and I know what a martyr is. And you and I know every time we think of a martyr, oftentimes it wasn't a nice, smooth, easy death. It was something cruel, something horrendous. It was something absolutely brutal. It was oftentimes unjust. Why? Because they died for the faith. They died being innocent standing for Jesus. This is the idea of a martyr. Now you and I know when words are translated, they're translated according to its context and this is why the word witness is used here but I think it is not doing the word injustice, especially in the context to bring out the element, brothers and sisters, you and I must understand when we are being witnesses for Jesus Christ, when we embrace this calling that Jesus Christ has given to every single one of us, you and I know that that could possibly mean death. And this is why Jesus has called us to die before we actually perhaps may face death, literally. We have called to be crucified Christians. We have been called to take up our cross daily and to follow him. We have been called to be, as it were, dead men walking because when we have embraced our calling as Christians to be witnesses for Jesus, we know full well that that may be the expense of our life and that may look differently for everyone. Smith's Bible Dictionary, in defining this word, witness, says, In the New Testament, the original notion of a witness is exhibited in the special form of one who attests his belief in the gospel by personal suffering. Hence, it is that the use of the ecclesiastical term martyr, the Greek word for witness, has arisen. This is the idea behind being a witness, and you and I see it throughout the book of Acts, you and I see it throughout church history, and you and I see just a glimpse, I say just a glimpse of it today, that people are suffering for the testimony of Jesus Christ, you know why? Because they have embraced their calling to be a witness for Jesus. It's the same word used when in Acts chapter 22, When Paul was uh, communing with the Lord and he refers to Stephen and he says, when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed. It's the same word for witness. In Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus was speaking to the church of Pergamos, he refers to one called Antipas. He says, uh, who was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Same word for witnesses, martyr. And all I'm simply saying to draw out the element from the word that being a testimony for Christ, being a witness for Christ, is with a very real possibility that it is at the cost of our life. John Wesley said, That is, in terms of being empowered, you shall be empowered to witness my gospel both by your preaching and your suffering. And we see again this is why Jesus from the very beginning calling anyone and all that is going to be his disciple Luke chapter 9 he says he straightly charged them this was after Peter's profession where he says thou art the Christ he says flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father which is in heaven and he says don't share that with anyone for a certain reason and then he goes on in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 9 and he says the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. This is what I've come to do and I must do it. And then he goes on to say in verse 23 in Luke chapter 9, He said to them, oh, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life For my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he shall gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? In a parallel passage, he says, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 26 says, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me, And of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy angels. You know what he's saying here? Those that are ashamed of me, in essence, I believe, he's saying don't really have my witness in them. These ones that are unashamed of me will testify of me and will be my witnesses. And this is the conviction that even Paul the Apostle said in Romans chapter one, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek not ashamed of the gospel people wonder why who are these ones that if, if you're ashamed of him he's going to be ashamed of you and what does that mean you see when we read of Jesus speaking like this especially to his disciples my friends oftentimes is this time Judas was around but you must understand it wasn't just his disciples around constantly even though he was addressing his disciples. He was educating his disciples. He was showing his disciples to have discernment as well. And these ones that will be ashamed of Christ, I believe what it's indicating to us don't really know Christ. And this is what Romans chapter 10, I believe in its historical context talks about that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart, that, 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 Christ, uh, that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. This was in the midst of a persecuted time of, of, of if you were to actually confess Christ, you were a Christian. But for those that would not confess Christ with their lips was evidence that they weren't a Christian. In the face of persecution, it showed out who they really were. Like that second soil, I believe it is. They received, the joy with, they, they received the word with joy and jureth for a while, it says. They went on for a little bit. But as soon as persecution came, they got offended. See you later. No fruit came of that profession. No fruit came of it. Even though you may have seen they were around for a while. Those that deny the Lord Jesus Christ never knew the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that are ashamed of Christ and His sufferings often indicates it's assumed that they are not of Christ. We are called to be His witnesses. We are called to die before we may actually die. 2 Timothy chapter 3. yea, And all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. I want us to understand here that persecution, suffering, martyrdom has never been uh, something that the child of God is exempt from. As a matter of fact, He's he's promised it. He's promised it and must be expected. It must be something that is received and embraced that comes with the gospel, with being a Christian. And in Philippians chapter 1, I want us to notice this here. When Paul was facing persecution, and brothers and sisters, you and I have read of what he has faced, and he says here concerning his, his, his bonds, he says in verse 12, he says, but I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel this is what it was focused about so that my bonds in christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places and many of the brethren in the lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear talking about preaching Christ and this is what Hebrews is talking about concerning those faithful witnesses that have gone before us that testify to us to run the race with patience. And it tells us everything they faced. And it tells us what they went through. It tells us of things that we couldn't even imagine. Certain prophets being sawed in half, cut in half for righteousness sake, for Christ's sake, for God's sake. And he says these are the witnesses that have gone before us and this is designed and recorded for you and i that we would take courage and wax bold to be a witness for jesus like our brethren that have suffered and died for christ's sake unashamedly yea gladly What reward they have awaiting for them in heaven. These are the the ones that we are exhorted to look to and learn by their example. We read of testimonies that those that were thrown into the Colosseum for their faith ran to meet the lion and embrace, embrace their lot for standing for Jesus. Where does such boldness come from? Where does such confidence come from? Where does such power come from? It's by the Spirit of God within everyone that is a witness for Jesus. And by that suffering, and by that death, they are a witness for Jesus Christ. You know what they're saying? He's worth it all. You know what they're saying? I already died. I already died. This is just a promotion. That's all it is. And this is what happens, brethren. You and I live in such a feeble bubble of a society that any thought of persecution, any thought of ridicule, you and I oftentimes close our mouths because we're scared if someone's going to raise their voice at us or falsely accuse us or or, or say a manner of evil against us. Brothers and sisters, that is not what the Spirit of God teaches you to do. We have not received a spirit of fear. We have not received a spirit that teaches us to be cowards, is what the scripture indicates. We have received one that gives us boldness. We have received one that makes us unashamed of Jesus Christ. We see it demonstrated throughout with the disciples. Every single one of them fled when Jesus was led up to be crucified. But after the Spirit of God came upon them, not one of them denied the Lord. Not one of them stood down for Jesus. Not one of them could withhold their lips from testifying of the gospel of His grace. And most of them gave their lives for it. I mean, literally got martyred for it. We are not exempt. Brothers and sisters, we are not exempt. We are called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ, turn with me to Matthew chapter ten. Please, I want you to really get this: what being a witness involves. We are called to be a witness, but I really want you to understand what being a witness involves. You see, brothers and sisters, it's it's not just simply about, and we're going to get there about sharing in words the gospel and living. a a Christian lifestyle but brothers and sisters you and I must understand that when we are active when we are occupying when we are making being a witness our business this is our work that we are employed in you must understand that we are going to see things that we may have never expected things like Matthew chapter 10 what Jesus says here from verse 16 He says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. He didn't hide it from what what Jesus was sending them to do. He was telling them exactly what was going to happen. He says, You are my sheep and I'm sending you out in the midst of ravening wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, look at this. For they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues and you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. For my sake. You know why? Because they are being a witness for him. He says, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak. For it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Even in the midst of being delivered up for the faith. The Spirit of God does not depart from us and leave us alone. As a matter of fact, He'll give us the very words to say. And our dependence must be so much on Christ that He says, don't even try and think about what you're going to say. You just trust and lean upon this, that by the Spirit of God, I'll give you the words to say in that hour. In that hour. Now notice verse 21. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death. And the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end, look at this, shall be saved. You know what he's simply saying here? Those that have the true witness of Jesus Christ will endure to the end. They will stand and never let down, but brothers and sisters, we are talking about family, brethren, those that are going to rise up against you, even if it means unto your death. I heard even when this whole coronavirus thing came out, hearing of, of, of a son saying to his father who is a pastor that if he continues, he's going to call the authorities on him. Things like this are taking place, brethren. Let's not be ignorant. This actually happens and it's happening today and it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Christ has not called us to be positive thinkers. He's called us to be obedient and embrace the reality that is upon the child of God. Children are going to deliver up Their parents and vice versa. Those that you love the most, those that you perhaps least expected, are going to be the very ones that are going to deliver you up. But you know why? It's not because of you. It's actually got nothing to do with you. They're going to make it like it's got everything to do with you, they're going to make it like it's because of you, but it's got nothing to do with you. It's for Jesus' sake. Anyone that will not be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus and of His ways and of His word, brothers and sisters, mark it down. There may come a time where this very portion of Scripture that we just read might be a reality in your life. Some have tasted of glimpses of it. Some have tasted more than others as some will perhaps taste of the full effect to come. In saying all of that, Jesus goes on to say, Hey, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. You know what Jesus is saying here? And he goes on to explain a little bit more to them. Look what they did to me. What do you think they're going to do to you? You know who I am, And look what they've done to me what do you think they're gonna do to you he says you know and you know what he teaches them it's enough for you to be like your master it is enough like first Peter talks about that we should follow in his steps even in this area and it's in this very chapter and it's in that context where he goes on to say fear not them in verse 28 which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell you know what he's also teaching here and you know what I believe every child of God knows and understands by the Spirit of God the Spirit of God teaches me to fear God more than man I don't fear what may happen to my life you know why my life is not my own as we sing and as we read of in Scripture It has been given over to Jesus. And it's not about me anymore. It's not about me. We have been called in Philippians chapter 1. In verse 29 He says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Mark, it down it is part of the invitation to salvation it's part of the invitation of being disciples what are we we're called to be his messengers we're called to be his martyrs we're called to be his witnesses his witnesses all right natural question that follows well what do we share what are we testifying of what's the message and the message is simple in first corinthians 15 we are called to share the gospel. We are called to share the gospel. First Corinthians 15 lays out what the gospel lists to us, uh, to us very clearly, how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. It's a testimony, we are testifying, we are sharing of what Jesus Christ did. Now I don't know about I don't know about you, but if someone asked me when I was actually born again, a day or two later, I says, man, did you believe the gospel? I'm t- I'd say, what's the gospel? Even though I can tell you what I believed, which was the gospel, but I wasn't familiar with the terminology of what the gospel is. And so if you ever get asked or if you ever wonder what's the gospel, this is it. The gospel is literally about Jesus, but specifically what he did on that cross. And as 1 Corinthians 15 defines it for us again, how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he arose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. That's what we're called to declare. And one thing that we are not to neglect in our preaching or sharing and being a witness and testimony of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For he goes on to say in the same chapter, if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. And your faith is also vain. He says, yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is everything about the Gospel. It shows that Jesus Christ was not like Muhammad, and Jesus Christ is not like Buddha, and Jesus Christ is not like any other religious or leader, a figure that was elevated, that that started some sort of religion or movement or following. Jesus Christ does not compare to any of them, every single one of them, regardless what claims they made, regardless what kind of following they have, regardless what kind of impact there still remains today. Jesus is above every single one of them. You know why? Every single one of them died in their sin and they're still dead and gone and corrupting. But you know what Jesus? Jesus Jesus rose again. You go to that tomb, he's not there, my friends. He's not there. He is a risen saviour. He's not a dead religious leader. He's a risen saviour. It's the resurrection that shows us he has conquered death and that we may have freedom and deliverance from sin and from death and one day from hell that's what we find in our resurrected Lord not only the fulfilling of prophecy like he said it but this is the gospel this is the testimony this is in Acts you read oftentimes they testified of the resurrection of Jesus Paul would say I am being persecuted for believing in the resurrection of the dead the resurrection is very crucial to the gospel and must not be neglected. But the gospel is our message. The gospel is what we shared. The gospel is what we're sent out specifically to tell people about about Jesus and about what He's done. It's... In scripture, it has different uh, terms and recognizes different terms. It's called the gospel of the kingdom. It's also called the gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel of the grace of God. It's the gospel of God. It's the gospel of his son. It's the gospel of Christ. Paul calls it my gospel. He embraced it as his gospel that he wasn't ashamed of. The gospel of peace. It's Christ's gospel in 2 Corinthians. The gospel of the uncircumcision. It's the gospel of the circumcision. In other words, it's for the Jew and the Gentile. Everyone is in need of the gospel. It's the gospel of your salvation. It's the gospel of our Lord Jesus. It's the glorious gospel of the blessed God. 1 Timothy says, and Revelation says it's the everlasting gospel. It's that gospel we are share, we have been given and entrusted with to go out there and to share. We are called to be witnesses, to deliver a message. And that message is the gospel. It's Jesus and what He did. Brothers and sisters, this is our witness and this is what it's all about. And I want to tell you some things now that will help correct and realign or reestablish some motives. And I want us to understand this, when we are called to be witnesses, it's not about my testimony so much as it is about the gospel that saved me. It's not about getting them into the church so much as it is about hearing the gospel being preached from the pulpit. It's not about my upright lifestyle that's going to win people to Jesus so much as it is the fact that it's reflecting what the gospel has done to me. It's not for me to glory in, it's for me to point everyone to Jesus and say, it's because of Him. My testimony is saying, man, this is what I was, but Jesus found me. He saved someone like me and He can save you. It's all about Him. It's not about me. It's not about my testimony. It's not about all my wickedness. It's about a Savior had mercy upon a wretch like me. Brothers and sisters, we are not called to get as many people as we can into church. And this is why some of some of you have probably heard us say it, and, and many of us have said it out there on the streets when we've gone out to be a testimony. Oftentimes, after spending a, a long periods of time telling people about Jesus, they got no idea the name of our church. They got no idea the name of our fellowship. Why? We're not pointing people to church. I'm not undermining church. This is God's ordinances. This is God's bride. She, she's to be pure, and I'm not undermining I'm all for the church. Please don't misunderstand me. But Christ is not called us to call people to go to church he's called them to come to Christ and so if we're bringing people to church we're calling them to come and hear the gospel this is the purpose it's not about numbers let's not mix our motives let's not mix our whole point let's not mix what we have been called to be and to do we are called to be witnesses of the gospel it's about the gospel it's about Jesus is about calling people to come to Christ the whole point in mentioning those things is to keep the purpose of doing those uh, is to keep the purpose of doing those things the main purpose which is to preach Christ he is the purpose of our preaching 2nd Corinthians 4 5 Paul said we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus Our Lord, uh, the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. In First Corinthians chapter 9, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not. The gospel. He is the purpose of our preaching. He is the one that we lift up because there are certain ones that may be in the midst like those that came to the disciples and said, Sirs, we would see Jesus. And so the obligation upon the preacher is to lift up Jesus and specifically the gospel. Is the purpose of our preaching. Here's the purpose of our ministry. Acts chapter 20 verse 24 but none of those things move me Paul said neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus what to testify the gospel of the grace of God is the purpose of our ministry he says I thank God in Philippians upon every remembrance of you Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. They were engrossed in the gospel. The purpose of the ministry is about the gospel. And you know what? He is the purpose of our life. The gospel is our life. We already uh, read it in Matthew, uh, excuse me, in in Matthew chapter 10. But turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And I want us to notice this here. Again, parallel portion. It's almost speaking the same language here. But I want us to notice from Mark chapter 10 and verse... From verse 28 and he says then Peter began to say unto him lo we have left all and have followed thee and Jesus answered and said verily verily I say unto you there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands notice this now for my sake and the gospel's. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren, sisters, mothers and children and lands with persecutions. It's not without it. And in the world to come eternal life. It is for his sake. It is for the gospel's sake. Why did these ones... Uh, why is, what's this exhortation for? You know why? Because people have made Jesus their life. Christ who is our life. These ones that have made Jesus their life. These ones that have made the gospel is all they live and breathe. It's cost them a lot. It's cost them a lot. Beware of this kind of preaching that says there is no cost in discipleship. Beware of this kind of preaching that it's almost like Jesus is to be tacked onto your life so you can have a prosperous and better life. My friends, you take Jesus into your life, you might lose everything physically but gain all the riches in all eternity. It doesn't even compare. But understand there is a cost and understand that He is the reason why we do it. That's our message. It's the gospel. And I want to touch on now also, it's not just our message that is to be declared in words, but we are also called to be demonstrations in our manner of life. Turn with me back again to Philippians chapter 1, and I want you to notice this language here. when, (laughs) When I read this as a Christian for the very first time in my life, it smote my heart as a Christian to no end and made me say, Whoa. Philippians chapter 1. I want you to notice what I'm talking about here. And I hope we get what the scriptures are saying. Look with me there. And I don't want you to miss the very first word of this verse in verse 27. What's the very first word there? Let's say it together. What is it? Only. 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 Uh, Excuse me, but to you of salvation, excuse me, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. It is calling us here to have our lifestyle be characterized and governed and be exclusively recognized as something that is befitting the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, everything about our life. Everything people see and hear of us, there's something about it that people know there's something different here. And if they see it long enough and if they perhaps prompt and ask questions, what should be demonstrated and what should be shared, but in the sincere the exhortation, what should be demonstrated is our lifestyle, this is the word for conversation, our lifestyle is governed and shown forth to be exclusively about the gospel. Only let your conversation be about the gospel. That's all I'm about. That's everything I'm about. That's all I'll ever be about. And Paul's saying this is how you ought to be too. Only let your conversation be about the gospel. Brothers and sisters, you and I know we have called to be a light in this dark world. We have called to be a salt in this perishing and decaying world. And you and I know that we have called to live holy lifestyles that reflect the holiness of our God and Saviour. And here we, are, we see very, very specifically that our lifestyle is characterised and has everything to do about the gospel. About the gospel please understand that these came under the insp these words came under the inspiration of the Spirit of God by a man named Paul the Apostle you and I know the lifestyle Paul the Apostle lived you and I know what manner of life he demonstrated You know there's a lot of preaching that goes on today that that, that says the right things and it sounds good and it sounds solid and it sounds strong but when you look at their manner of life it's confusing. They say the right things but they live another way and the man that said these words literally gave his whole life to God. And he understood that he had a calling as an apostle and not all were called to be apostles. But everyone is called to have a lifestyle characterized exclusively governed by everything that is befitting of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we look at the lifestyle of Paul the Apostle, my friends, what he went through. What a lifestyle he lived. What sacrifices? Did he have liberty? Absolutely, he says, but I don't care about my liberty. I'm going to get rid of my liberty so I can win some, so that some would be saved. Oh, things are lawful for me. Yeah, there are things that I can do, but I'm not going to do them. You know why? It doesn't encourage you, so I'm not going to do it. This is what the conversation is. It's not about having people over for a hundred dinners and I'm not undermining that. That's where most of the ministry must take place, not to neglect the streets and everything else. Brothers and sisters, most of the preaching takes place at our dining table. I'm not undermining that, but please understand, it's not about get them over for dinners and dinners and dinners and dinners and and then I'll tell them about Jesus. No! Everything about your life from the get-go and the whole way through is all about the gospel. It's all about Jesus. Everyone that knows you ought to know that this man can't stop talking about Jesus. Oh, here he goes again. Oh, tell him about Jesus. Tell him how he needs to repent of his sins. Oh, yeah, he needs that tract. Why? Because the lifestyle My conversation, our conversation, brothers and sisters, we are called not to be like this world. We are not called to embrace the philosophies of this world. We are called to let the gospel get a grip of us, even as Christians, and that that govern our lifestyle. And this is why even in work, it's not about work. And this is why that those that have made the gospel, their lifestyle, this is why even at work they're always ready to be a witness for Christ. As a matter of fact, they often initiate the conversation. As a matter of fact, before they leave the job, most of the times they might leave a track and say, look, this this has been a blessing and I just want to give it to you. It's about Jesus. It's about what he did for you and how you can be saved from your sin. You know why those things happen? It's not because it's a religious duty. It's because that person has a conviction that my whole life is about Jesus and I just want others to know about Jesus. The gospel has changed me. Look what it's done. And I can't hide it from others. Only let your conversation be that which becometh the gospel. It's, yes, the manner of life. I'm all for lifestyle evangelism, but a biblical lifestyle, evangelism, it doesn't nullify saying the words. Christ Preserve God preserved the words of the gospel for us to share. They go hand in hand. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, listen to what Paul says. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. He says, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel... I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And this is where it says, As a Jew, I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without the law, as without the law being not without the law to God but under the law to Christ that I might gain them that are without the law to the weak became I as weak and that I may gain the weak I, made, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some and this I do he says he says you know why I'm doing this he says this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you." You know what that lifestyle, the manner of life looks like when the, the gospel has gripped you and you live a lifestyle that is befitting the gospel? It looks like laying down your life for others. It looks like forsaking your liberties that you have because I want to get busy telling people about Jesus. Can I do things? Absolutely. But you know what? I love this, this, I love this more. I love this message more. I love my Saviour more. I love souls more than my liberty. I love the brethren more than my liberty. And say, so you know what? I'm going to do whatever I can. Whatever I can because that's what Jesus teaches us. That's what the Scriptures teaches us. That when the Gospel grips you, it doesn't teach you to compromise as a lot of people like to say Paul was doing in 1 Corinthians 9. It teaches you to be like Jesus. That those that were against Christ and scoffers of Christ says, look, (laughs) a friend of sinners. That was a title given by his enemies. Do you know why? He was always around sinners. Was he sinning? God forbid. Was he condoning sin? God forbid. He actually set a standard. Now go and sin no more. He was not there giving into their sins to win them. No, my friends. But he was there to win them nonetheless. Oh, brothers and sisters, if only we would get this. Philippians chapter 2, from verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you. Notice these other men that he testifies of now that their lifestyle, their conversation was governed by the gospel. He says, I'm going to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all men seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him. You know the testimony of Timotheus that as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. He says, yet I suppose that necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother, is another sweet Christian, and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, And he that ministered to my wants. You know what he's saying here. These are the kind of people that live for the gospel. And you know there's a detail there. I don't know about you, but that convicts every one of us. He says in verse 21 in Philippians chapter 2, For all men seek their own, and not the things which are Jesus Christ's. You know what Christians have confused today? As long as I'm not sinning, as, I'm, as long as I'm not a drunkard, as, I'm not, as long as I'm not fornicating, as long as I'm not taking drugs, what am I doing? I'm working hard to provide my, for my family and their life is constantly governed about work and, 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 and building themselves up and having a million dollars in the account. And I'm not talking about having things of wealth. We read that in the scriptures and those whose hearts God got a grip of, they're just ready to give it away whenever God touches on it and wants them to. I'm not talking about that. But brothers and sisters, we are not called to seek our own. We are not called to build up our lives. This life is not about us. But how often our life is governed about things that we do for ourselves. It's about us. We're seeking our own. This is why Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't live for God and live for money. And why do I say money? I know there are many things that can come under the category of uh, all men seek their own. I understand that by the reason why I touch on money, because you and I know, like the scripture says, the love of money is the root of all evil. And you have Christians, born-again Christians, that their lifestyle is not only that which becometh the gospel. As a matter of fact, what you see mostly upon their life, it's about money. It's about money. And they give here and there, and they appease, but they go back for the money. They're seeking their own. God doesn't care about your money in that sense. Because when God gets a grip of your heart, brothers and sisters, you and I know it's got nothing to do with money. Whether it's a million or a dollar, you know what God said? You know what He taught His disciples? Hey, look at that widow there. Look at that one that gave those two mites. You know, she gave more than everyone. Brothers and sisters, let us not embrace the philosophy of the world. Let us not be entangled with the affairs of this life. We must be very careful that we do not be characterized as people that simply seek their own. And talk about Jesus here and there. Our lifestyle, our manner of life must be fitting the gospel. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see it demonstrated in Acts chapter 2. People were getting saved, people were losing families, people were losing homes, people were losing jobs because they came to Christ, they were being ostracised, they were being excommunicated and so you know what the Spirit of God taught the brethren that believed to do, it taught some to sell houses and lands, lay it at the apostles feet, they made it to distribute it to the brethren that had need. You know why? Because people were standing for God and it was costing them things. And for those that may not have been bearing that particular cost, you know what they did? says, I'm going to sell this and I'm going to sell this because that brother has a need. This is what the Spirit of God teaches us. This is what the Gospel does to us. It's not about this life. It's not about me. It's not about seeking my own. It's not about that. It's about the Gospel. It's about others. It's about God. That's the manner of life. What's our method? What's our method? If you'd bear with me for a little time more. How do we share this gospel? How do we share it? Now I'm gonna say this carefully. Again I, I say this carefully, but let me just say this. How does God want us to spread the gospel? We see in Scripture that God has chosen to use people, specifically His children, to share the Gospel. He he says in Romans chapter 10, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? He's used pe- God has chosen people to share His message. This is the method of God. We see it in our text, Acts chapter one, verse eight. We are called, pardon me, to be witnesses unto Him. He could have used angels, but He has not decided to use angels. He's decided to use those that have tasted of the grace of God, that have been delivered of their sins, that can testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see He's used people. We see God also has chosen to use preaching in the same uh, following verse in Romans chapter 10. He says, and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good you know, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Listen to here. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God has ordained it or chosen that he uses the method of preaching to save them that believe. Does it look foolish? Absolutely. My friends, you come out with us on the streets, and oftentimes you mark it down, and those that have been out there on the streets have probably heard of it, have heard it so many a times and seen it and testified of it. People have an issue already if we just stand on the on public domain and, and share the faith. People have an issue with that, but the moment street preaching starts taking place, the moment the preaching of the word of God takes place, the moment the preaching of the gospel opens up. My friends, it's like the gates of hell have opened up a little or have started shaking. There's something about the preaching of the gospel and then you often get people saying stuff like this. Man, look, I'm a Christian too, but you don't have to do it like that. It's foolishness in the sight of those that know not God. How sad it is for those that say they do know God, still count it to be foolish and they're ashamed of it. Brothers and sisters, trust me, oftentimes the preacher there doesn't want to preach. But you got to understand something, he's bound. you got to understand there is a necessity laid upon him and there's almost a sense of condemnation if I do not do it. It's the foolishness of preaching God has chosen. This is one of his methods. And you know what else God has chosen? The method? Persecution. Persecution. We already read Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. The persecution that Paul was facing, he says, you know what? It was to the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel went out more and more because of the persecution that I was under. And you know what else it did? It encouraged the brethren to be a witness for Christ and to also bear the same burdens. To identify with the sufferings of Christ as it were. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 Paul the Apostle says when he was consenting oh the scripture says when Saul before he was Paul the Apostle was consenting unto the death of Stephen he says and at that time there was a great persecution it was around this time against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, they stayed in Jerusalem. And in in the same chapter in verse 4 of Acts 8, it says, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. You see, God has often, or has chosen to use persecution to spread the gospel. That's a strange method, isn't it? But this is what Peter talks about and we heard it preached again a few weeks ago, that when we suffer persecution, let it not be because of us, let it be for righteousness' sake, let it be because of the gospel, let it be because of the truth, and so if we suffer injustice, if we get falsely accused, if we get imprisoned, misunderstood, and so forth, and that happens, brothers and sisters, and it will continue to happen this side of eternity to the Christian, he says, when you face these kind of persecutions, He says, you have a reward if you endure it patiently. And in that same context of suffering persecution as a Christian for the sake of the gospel, he says, you be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is in you. You know what? Like that Philippian jailer. Here you got Paul and Silas in prison singing and preaching, and I believe they were preaching because when that, when, when that earthquake took place and those prison doors were open, the, 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 the jailer, the prison guard was about to kill himself because if they lost the prisoner, it was at the expense of their own life. It was punishable by death for them. And so he was about to kill himself and Paul, knowing this, ran out and he said, stop, everyone that was in jail is still here. Imagine hearing that as a prison guard. What do you mean the prison doors fly open, not one prisoner ran out? Because the Bible tells us prior to that that Paul and Silas were praying and singing and I also personally believe preaching in that prison in the midst of false accusation being imprisoned for the sake of the gospel and they were ready to give an answer to that Philippian jailer that said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? God has chosen the avenue of persecution, brothers and sisters, to be a witness for Jesus. What makes a man being imprisoned unjustly for years and being beaten and tortured and beaten and tortured and beaten and tortured time and time again. What makes a man like that after years of such injustice and brutality upon him because of Jesus one night saying to that prison. That, that man, that prison guard that came in and beat him again because he was praying and absolutely abused him for you. Still doing it? Who are you praying for? And that man says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. What makes a Christian do that? How? This is why we have the Spirit of God. These are the kind of Christians that have embraced their calling these are those that understand that God has chosen the method of persecution to spread the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and to reach those that oftentimes could not be reached. I remember one being in prison and their testimony saying the gospel was reaching these, these, these atheists, these haters of God and, he, and they in essence said if we were not imprisoned we would have never been able to reach them. Where does this mindset come from? You know where it comes from? People that have embraced their calling to be a witness for Jesus, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. So what approach do I take? You know, What method? How do I share the gospel? And look, let me just say this by way of practicality, and I say this within the bounds of Scripture, there is not necessarily an exclusive set method of sharing the gospel. You must understand that. Oftentimes the spirit of God may lead you to give a word of exhortation, ask a question, you may get opportunity to share the whole gospel at times. oftentimes it might be literally just one word. There is no necessarily a set method, but you and I understand we have a message and always seeking to do and what we see in Jesus uh, what we see in the scriptures is we 're always seeking to communicate the gospel with every opportunity God gives. so I want us to I'm just going to give you, and and you can just hear, don't worry about turning to scripture for the sake of time. So I want to give you some practical uh, advice on the basis of scripture as to how to be a witness. How should I talk and, and converse with different ones about Jesus? Well, number one, I want to encourage you to always bring every conversation that opens up back to the gospel bring it back to jesus bring it back to the gospel now you and i know conversations can start and go on a big tangent and start talking about the prime minister and start talking about this president and start talking about this this and that and this theory and that concept and and it can be absolutely endless and look, I'm not saying, you know, oh, just forget about it all. God might lead you to answer those questions, perhaps, but let your focus be every time in every conversation, God, give me wisdom to answer this question, but to bring it back to Jesus, to bring it back to the Gospel, to bring it back to the death, burial and resurrection, to bring it back to helping this person see their sin in need of a Saviour. Mm. And I want to give you that direction. This is what we see the pattern of scripture even their sermons that they preach started with the prophecies and then ended up talking about Jesus being the fulfillment of the prophecy Philip as well talking to that Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 began in the prophecy of Isaiah and he preached Christ uh, Paul quoted even the philosophers of the Athenians uh, that they were familiar with and then, using those as a springboard, brought it to Jesus Christ. This, in other words, the concept's not familiar, but let me tell you about Jesus. Stephen began with Abraham and the history of deliverers, Joseph, excuse me, Joseph Moses, Joshua, even mentioning David and Solomon, and he brought it back, eventually, to Jesus This is what we see in the scriptures, that somehow and every time they are going out to preach the gospel, but everything they seek to do, they try and bring the conversation and the opportunity back to Jesus. So that's one way of practical exhortation. Secondly, focus on three specific teachings in scripture. And I believe just if you get confident and grounded in these three specific teachings of scripture, you will be able to address and cover almost every religion even if you don't know a thing about it and one of those and the very first thing is salvation by grace through faith be established in salvation by grace through faith this is strongly an obvious connection with the gospel that we are not saved by works we are saved by grace through faith not of works lest any man should boast this addresses so many religions that often and almost every one of them testify of some sort of works based system for you to get to heaven and so for you to be able to reach ones like this be grounded in the scriptures and confident about salvation by grace through faith also I want to exhort you to be Grounded in the scriptures concerning the security of our salvation. We often call it the assurance of our salvation. Why? Because many a people that may preach a gospel or preach Jesus often share that you can lose or leave your salvation. My friends, salvation is not salvation if such things was possible according to the scriptures. And the scriptures teaches that you will never perish if you are a child of God and so be grounded in this the salvation by grace through faith the assurance of salvation you cannot lose it this is the confidence that we have in Christ according to first John chapter 5 and this gives us confidence to show and share a sure hope of deliverance for all men this is what the gospels intended to do and thirdly I want you to be grounded and exhort you to be grounded in the teachings of the scripture of Jesus being God. Now the reason why I emphasize that as well is because Jesus said in John chapter 8 in the context of him telling them that he was from all eternity that if you do not believe that he is you're going to die in your sin. You're going to die in your sin. And so be grounded and, and 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 confident in sharing from scripture and knowing yourself from scripture that I don't just know the truth that Jesus is God, I know the scripture teaches it, and here is where it says it. And my friends, you'd be able to address so many and so much and educate even those that don't know concerning who Jesus is. God manifest in the flesh, the Bible says. And so lastly, what's our mission overall? as being witnesses we are messengers we are martyrs we have a message we see God's method to be used we, we don't only see uh, again his, his chosen people and his uh, chosen preaching and his chosen persecution but Paul even invites the brethren to pray to pray that effectual open doors will be open to him to share the word and preach the gospel My friends, prayer oftentimes is what can knock some doors down and open an avenue with sharing the gospel. But lastly, our mission. In being a witness for Jesus and going out there and being a testimony for Christ in every area and in every circumstance, in every situation, our mission, number one, and there may be many other things you can think of, but number one, we are simply called to compel sinners to come in we are not called necessarily to convert sinners we can't do that the scripture tells us in the parable of the great supper that the Lord said unto the servant to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled you know what scriptures teach us here that that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance and all you and I do, not just simply here in the midst and even in our homes, but are out there on the streets, in our workplaces and everywhere we are, always ready to compel someone to come to Jesus. One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. One man that's thirsting in the desert, pointing him to find where he can find the water of life and that how he can take of the water of life freely. We are simply called to compel them to come in. Number two, we are simply called to communicate the gospel. This is what Paul the apostle and even the disciples will see constantly time and time and time again doing, communicating the gospel regardless the response. We are not responsible for how someone responds to the gospel. We must be careful in how God is leading us to approach every situation I understand this, but we are not responsible of how someone responds to the gospel, but we are responsible and have been committed the gospel to communicate it. Even Paul sharing his testimony with King Agrippa, how he was testifying to King Agrippa, how Jesus was sending him even to the Gentiles, and he says to do this. It's so interesting. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance amongst them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. He says, you know what I've been called to do, King Agrippa? I've been called to share the gospel. This is the vision that Jesus gave me. And he says, I've not disobeyed the heavenly vision. I've gone out to share the gospel. And he says, King Agrippa, this is why I'm standing before you now. Because I'm in prison for the gospel's sake. And I'm telling you because I'm bound to tell the gospel. But this is what Paul was sent to do. And this is the glimpse of what we are, in essence, sent to do. It's interesting detail. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inherit amongst them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. How do you do that? You tell them about Jesus. You preach the glorious gospel that removes the blindness that the devil has put on them that they would not see the gospel. But it's the gospel, the glorious light of the gospel that takes that blindness away and sets us all free. We're simply called to communicate the gospel. And lastly, I want you to find great comfort in this. I don't know about you, but i find great comfort in this. We are not called to produce the fruit. The fruit will simply follow. We are not called to produce the fruit. The fruit will simply follow. And not only that, you, are not, you and I are not called for us to go and convict someone. Yes, we are, go- we are to go and Compel them, and yes, there is a measure, no doubt about it, where we are to convince them of their need for a savior. But the scripture clearly teaches us that it is the spirit of God who will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment you know what the Spirit of God does when you are a witness for Jesus you know what the Spirit of God does when you are testifying of Christ and sharing the gospel he takes those words and he pieces the heart of the hearer and he starts to show that person their need of a savior he starts to show them their condemnation because of their sin he starts to show them that we fall short of their righteousness and even of uh, falls short of God's righteousness And even of the judgment to come, the Spirit of God does that. I don't know about you, but I find so much comfort in that. That I'm simply to go out there to compel people, to communicate the gospel, but it's God's business to convict a soul. It's not me that does it. And I find great rest in that. And not only that, brothers and sisters, in the same token, why I say we are not called to produce the fruit as it were, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 it says this, he's addressing the carnal Corinthians as we know them and he says this to them because there was carnality saying I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas and there was some there that says I am of Jesus and he says this is carnality. This is carnality, who are, who are these people, who are we? And he says for while one saith I am of Paul and another I am of Apollos. Are ye not yet carnal? He says who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed even as the Lord gave to every man. He says I have planted, Apollos watered. Notice these words. But God gave the increase. God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything neither he that watereth but God that giveth the increase brothers and sisters you and i are not called to give the increase you and i are called to be faithful servants to our lord and savior jesus christ with that message is committed to us to be witnesses unto him and it is not upon us it is not our responsibility to give that seed the increase It's God that does it. And so Paul says, you know the one that planted it? Nothing. You know one that waters it? It's nothing. You know why? We can plant and water all we want, but if God doesn't give the increase, nothing's gonna happen. And so it's God that gives the increase. And I don't know about you, but I find so much comfort in that. I used to get um, challenged by carnal Christians that were ashamed of going out there on the streets to openly talk about Jesus Christ. They were ashamed of the method. I, I would, to, to be completely fair, they were ashamed of the method of going out to tell people about Jesus Christ. You know why? Because they got falsely accused and screamed at and you're made to look like a spectacle before others. And you know what they'll say? Stuff like this. What fruit have you seen from it? What fruit has come of your soul winning ministry? What fruit do you see? What benefit? Look, he got angry, he got upset. The, 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 the you know what they can't see they can't see that person that's sitting behind you that you haven't seen that's been sitting there and listening the whole time to the preaching that you've been preaching and you know God's encouraged my heart so many times like that I'll never forget it I was so ashamed of being out there on the streets and I remember the first time I ever hit the streets to go soul winning I walked uh, out and we finally got there to the streets and here are people wearing scripture shirts uh, here are people that have signs and banners. Here are people that have tracks and they're standing in a group. And my heart was like, oh. And I was thinking, this is a stumbling block. What is this? And so I took my bundle of tracks and went away from every one of them to my own corner. Because I was, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. But you know what God did? He convicted me. Why are you ashamed of my people? Why are you ashamed of those that are unashamed of me? Look at all these people being uh, unashamed of what they love and... Why are you ashamed of my children that love me? And look, they got these banners. And it's not about the banners, by the way. And God dealt with me because I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I was a baby in Christ. I said, you're right, Lord. You're right. And so you know what, I, you know what happened the next week? I went out there again and I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to stay with them. And I don't know how it happened, but somehow I ended up holding the biggest sign that they had. LAUGHTER <laughs> And it was like a week or two after that, and and leading up to that, God was burdening me. Now, I know not everyone's, uh, you know, caught to this, but God was burdening me to be unashamed and lift up my voice for Him on those streets. And I felt like an absolute fool. And I remember the first time I street preached, my voice was croaky, I was stuttering, I think I was repeating so much, and I was so nervous, but I remember leaving there knowing that God was well-pleased. And God taught me and God grew me. And after being challenged so many times, what good, what good does it do? 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 I'll never forget that one night standing on the corner there in Town Hall in George Street, uh, in George Street preaching and preaching and preaching. And these things ringing through my mind, what good does it do? What good does it do? And I remember stopping and I, I, was, I almost had almost given into that. And I never forget this two young couple coming up to me saying, and I don't know how long I was preaching for, it was a long time, and they came up to me and says, you know, can we ask you some things? We've been sitting there the whole time listening to you, and I had no idea that they were sitting there listening to me the whole time. And they actually had some genuine, sincere questions about the things of Christ. And so a friend of mine was there that was able to help him and speak to them. And you know what I did? I just kept preaching. You know why? Because God encouraged me. It's not for me to look at the results and the fruit. That's up to God. I'm just simply called to be faithful with God, with what God wants me to do. Being unashamed of Him. Leave the increase to God. Because at the end of the day, you and I know that at the end of the day, when we've simply done that which was ours to do, We can say, like in that parable, we are unprofitable servants. That's all we are, unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. It's just our reasonable service on our way home to heaven. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be witnesses for Jesus. God help us in these last days to be witnesses for Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.